Hello, my name is Nicholas Corey, and you are listening to Enter the Novelcast. Cybersaurus, The Awakening, Chapter 13 Regina, Eddie, and Stanley slowly moved away from their hiding spot a short distance away as the strange men left the terminal, entering the maintenance hallway and moved out of earshot. Regina walked briskly to the terminal's edge, peering into the darkness of the subway tunnel, but after listening for nearly a minute she didn't hear any sounds of the men, and so she felt they were safe for the time being. She turned around to see Eddie and Stanley slowly approaching her position. Have they gone? Eddie asked quietly. I think so, she responded. Regina, do you think that they were looking for that drive you found? She reached into her pocket and pulled out the Enviro drive, staring at it as it rested in the palm of her hand. I don't know, she said. It sounded like they were. Any idea who they work for? Eddie asked. Regina shrugged. They were well-dressed for the most part. They definitely don't belong in the sewers. Yeah, do we? Eddie responded. Regina just looked at him, a mixture of annoyance and regret on her face. No, they didn't belong down there either. At least she didn't feel like they did. But they had no other choice. Stanley was thrust into this situation, and now they were all bending over backwards just to keep from being caught by the local police, from making a scene in public, or from being eaten by a savage Tyrannosaurus. She looked up at Stanley, the large T-Rex head looking back down at her thoughtfully. Those large, predatory, greenish-yellow eyes glinted as Eddie turned his flashlight back on, illuminating Stanley's rough, leathery, dark brown and green skin in the sharp contrast of a bright light in a dark tunnel. Regina wanted to apologize to Stanley for putting him in such a situation, for being selfish and hanging on to him long after he was naturally supposed to be gone. It was a thought that she didn't admit to herself before, but now, during the stress of running and hiding constantly in the last 24 hours, she felt the sting of regret. She had panicked. She didn't know what to do, and she was frightened at the thought of losing him so suddenly, when really she should have lost him a long time ago. She wanted to say all of that, but couldn't bring herself to utter any word of it. Instead, all she said to Stanley was, How are you doing? Are you okay? He continued to look at her, those eyes, which were once so alien to her, starting to grow on her a little bit. He sighed, his great flank expanding with the inhale and shrinking with the exhale. His breath was hot and composed of a smell she could only attribute to a large animal, rank and musty and wet and gastric. After a short moment as Stanley considered her question, his tail slapped the floor of the terminal with a dull flap. He was okay, at least for now. Eddie looked to Stanley, and then to Regina, and then back to Stanley. Can you feel the dinosaur in there? he asked. Stanley swung his large head around to look at the shorter man, and once more his tail broke the silence of the terminal with a dull thwap. Is the stabilizer working? Eddie asked. Stanley just stared at him, and loosed a short mutter, a low growl that wasn't threatening, but more of a sign of Stanley's desire to offer a vocal response despite his inability to do so. Eddie looked to Regina. What does that mean? Regina shrugged. There's no way to be certain, she said. I'm assuming that's his way of saying he isn't sure if it's working or not. She looked up to Stanley. Is that right? 
He slapped his tail against the floor a single time once more. Eddie nodded knowingly. Okay, well, at least it seems to be working for now, he said. You had mentioned before that you thought it may be caused by heightened emotions or stress, he asked Regina. She nodded a bit. I think so. I mean, it's just a theory, but it always seemed that the transition would happen when his adrenaline was spiking, or when he was agitated or overly stressed. Basically the most inopportune times, really. Although it also seemed he responded to sudden, powerful stimuli. Eddie raised an eyebrow. What, like an electric shock? Not necessarily, Regina said. All I know is that earlier in the tunnels, before you and Naomi arrived, screaming his name at the dinosaur's face seemed to trigger a switch. Eddie looked back up at the dinosaur. Wow, he said. So it can be assumed that even when the dinosaur is in control, Stanley is still aware of his surroundings. Your screaming at the dinosaur and not backing away from it must have caused it enough confusion to provide Stanley with a small window of time to take over. Regina shrugged. It's all speculation, really. But if that's the case, then we can assume that the window of time will grow smaller each time it happens. The dinosaur will grow accustomed to its prey not fleeing. Eddie laughed nervously. <laughs> yeah, well, I won't be hanging around too much if he turns. Regina continued to look up at Stanley, the dinosaur head moving slowly back and forth from one of them to the other as the conversation went on. She walked over to him and raised her hand, palm facing Stanley, his mighty head lowered, the edge of his snout coming to rest against the palm of her hand, his green-yellow eyes closing comfortingly. Regina lightly rubbed her hand against the dinosaur's nose. We can also assume that the shared awareness goes both ways, she said. Eddie nodded. When Stanley is in control, the Tyrannosaurus Rex can still see, hear, and probably smell everything around him, he said. That is an unnerving thought. Regina brought her other hand up, holding the edge of Stanley's large snout in both hands, and pulled his head down to her eye level. She rested her forehead against him, feeling his breath from his fist-sized nostrils against her face, blowing her hair back behind her. She wanted to do nothing more than to get him back to a form he could be comfortable in, to a life he could live naturally. This was the hardest for him out of everyone involved, and it was her fault. They stood in silence for a moment and Eddie suddenly felt like a third wheel. Regina and Stanley stood comfortably with each other, making what little connection they could despite their obvious physical limitations. Eddie decided to busy himself with checking the subway tunnels again, ensuring that this was indeed an area they could secure as a home for Stanley, and a temporary residence for Regina. He walked towards the terminal's normal entrance and exit, the hallways leading away from the gates and the guard boxes and the ticket booths. Thick metal shutters were pulled across from one wall to the other, preventing anyone from getting into or out of the subway from what would have been the normal pedestrian entrance. He knew that at the end of these hallways would be the stairs leading up to the street, and at the base of those stairs would be another set of metal gates. This entrance was as secure as it could be, he thought. In order for someone to get in from here, they would need to be dedicated enough to break through both sets of shutters. He slowly moved from that point further into the terminal itself, back towards Stanley and Regina. He followed the walls with his flashlight as he moved, passing a small maintenance closet whose shelves were empty and covered in dust. He inspected the unisex bathroom and found traces of more needles, and even spent boost capsules, all along the floor. It seemed this area had seen its fair share of activity from drug users, and the only thing Eddie could think about 
was if any of his old contacts used this exact same terminal to get high. It was strange, as most people would shoot up or punch in from the security of their own home. Anyone who did so here must not have a regular home, or must be a kid who sought a place to pursue their illegal activities away from their parents. Eddie thought about a couple of kids who always bought from him, back when he would sell regularly. It was sad to see kids as young as 13 getting caught up in such a life, but Eddie needed money to keep his apartment, to keep food on the table, and so he sold anyways. He was never sure of where the kids got the money, but they could afford it. Perhaps they came from rich parents, and this was their way of rebelling. He pushed those thoughts from his mind as he continued his search. As he came back into the terminal, he heard the soft sound of Regina talking to Stanley, but he didn't make the conscious effort to listen. Instead, he made his way around the terminal, peeking into the guard boxes and ticket booths. The doors to these places were thrown open, hanging on hinges or lying on the floor. They had been broken into and raided long ago, and much of the equipment and peripherals left behind were strewn about. A mess, but one that could be fixed up with some time, should they feel the need to use these small, secure rooms. As he swept his flashlight around the interior of the guard's box, he saw a metal panel on the wall, a small door hanging just slightly open, a small silver key in its lock. He reached out and grabbed the key, pulling the metal cover open. Inside was a circuit box, dusty and old, with all the switches set to off. He compared the switches to the labels stenciled on the inside of the door, but most of the labels were worn and scratched and difficult to read. The only ones he was able to discern were Terminal Lighting, South, Ticket Booth, South, and Second Track, Runner Lighting. Curious, he flipped the Ticket Booth switch. As soon as he did so, he saw sparks shoot into the air and disappear into the blackness of the row of booths next to his guard station. Looking through the scratched, dirty, but solid glass window between his spot and those booths, he saw the small, thin computer displays at each booth take on a small, blinking red light. Regina, he said loudly, leaning out of his station door. This place still has some power. Regina turned to look his direction. Really? she said. Yeah, Eddie responded. I've got the terminals and the ticket booths going now, and I think I could turn on some lights if I wanted to. Regina looked over her shoulder at the dark tunnel behind her, the stalled subway car sitting like a large, silent, electronic worm asleep in the middle of its own tunnel. Don't, she said. Those guys could still be coming back. Eddie nodded and decided to turn off all power, just in case she was right. He didn't want to alert any passerby, at least not until they were certain the area was safe. He returned to the circuit box and flipped the breaker off again, plunging the monitors across the hall, once again in total darkness. As he came out of the guard station, he stopped, his flashlight pointing in Regina's direction. Regina saw him freeze and was about to ask him... Regina saw him freeze and was about to ask what was wrong when she heard another voice behind her say, Holy shit! She spun around quickly, and Stanley turned his large head in response as well, and they both saw two of the men from earlier standing at the corner of the subway tunnel and the terminal, just in view, their blue flashlights aimed right at Stanley. Stanley took a step back, eyes fixed on the men. Regina put her hands up, palms out, in a non-threatening pose. Eddie just stayed where he was, his own bright white light shining in their direction. Then, as if snapped out of a trance, the men turned and ran, back in the direction they had just come from, back the way they were heading when they came through the tunnel in the first place. 
Stanley saw the men turn and bolt, two smaller creatures fleeing from his presence. More importantly, the Tyrannosaur saw it, too. Through its own green and yellow eyes, it saw potential prey running swiftly from itself. There was a brief moment of pause as Stanley's uncertainty and fear about seeing outside men looking directly at him opened the mental door for the Tyrannosaur's mind to push Stanley out of the way. The savage Rex assumed control, and suddenly all of the animal's senses came to bear. Its stomach was sorely empty, with only a few mouthfuls of already dead flesh to sate itself in the last twenty-four hours. Its nostrils filled with the scent of fear, the smell of running prey. For a brief moment, its muscles twitched, its tail held straight as steel, and its jaw worked on the air. Clenching and opening slightly, sharp teeth bared to the dark terminal. As the men ran out of sight, around the corner of the terminal wall, the Tyrannosaur sniffed the air, watched them go, and then roared defiantly after them, the sound deafening in the otherwise silent terminal. In a matter of seconds, its long strides carried it in pursuit, disappearing around the corner of the terminal after the smaller animals. Stan! Regina said, more in shock and less in an attempt to rid the dinosaur's control. As the great beast roared onward, she spun around and looked at Eddie. He ran forward, pointing in the direction of the chase. Come on, he said. Together they ran after, keeping a safe distance behind the Tyrannosaur, but also keeping it well within their sight. Eddie turned off his flashlight, and as they rounded the corner into the subway tunnel, they saw the red maintenance lights of the access tunnel ahead, and the image of the dinosaur ducking under a tall doorway and chasing after the fleeing men. We have to stay with him, Regina said, or try to get those men before he does. Why? Eddie asked. They're most likely criminals. They're probably the men that murdered those others we found earlier. There's no way we know for certain, Regina said, and if they are, then they need to be brought into the police, not fed to a hungry dinosaur. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the previous season of The Novelcast at nicholascorey.com slash novelcast. That's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-K-O-R-Y dot com slash novelcast. The Novelcast is a podcast that is made possible by the support of the fine backers over at patreon.com slash novelcast. If you like what you hear and you want to help support this podcast as well, feel free to head to patreon.com slash novelcast and donate your support. Any amount is incredibly helpful and deeply appreciated. Also, if you like audiobooks, head over to audiobooks.com slash novelcast. Audiobooks.com has millions of different titles available, and by heading to audiobooks.com slash novelcast, you'll not only sign up for their free 30-day trial, but you'll also be showing your support for this podcast as well. Thanks once again for listening, and I will see you next time.